right, ladies and gents, we are back in this saddle once again. It has been a few weeks, but my name is Erin, and this is the What What in the Sam Hill podcast, where I investigate paranormal phenomena, high strangeness, cryptozoology, ancient mythology, and the delightfully odd. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage you, if you are listening to this on a podcast app, to go check out the Substack where this is host, this podcast is hosted, because there you will find all of the links for resources that I found in my research. Okay. What are we drinking? We are drinking not whiskey today. It turns out I only had like one shot left in my whiskey collection. Um, and by whiskey collection, I mean my very large bottle of Jack Daniels. So instead, we are tapping into my Dublin Scupnin Scupnin blush wine. I'm a big fan of, of Dublin. Um, so I'm not a big fan of wine for a couple reasons. One, it basically takes the whole bottle to get anything done. Because I'm a large human. Um, and I come from a long line of drinkers. The other thing about it is that it, um, it is not, ooh, how do I put this? Tasty. It's not tasty. Whereas, like, I can shoot Jack Daniels. And it's, I mean, it's not meant to be enjoyed. But it's something that I can get down quick and then enjoy the feeling. Whereas... Wine is supposed to be a process, and the process tastes like shit. Um, where, so then, Dublin's and just Muscadine wines in general, I find much sweeter and much tastier. Um, so if I'm gonna partake in a wine, that's pretty much what I partake of is is the fruity wines. I would rather, I mean, I can just pretend I'm on a beach or something, right? Like, I, I would much rather drink vodka in grape juice than I would regular wine. Um, unless it has a pretty bottle that I want in my collection. In which case, I'll drink dirt to get that pretty bottle. But today we're drinking Dublin Scupnin Blush. Why is that so hard to say? Well, Scupnin's not really a word that rolls off the tongue, so that's I'm gonna blame that. Anyway, um, so today we are gonna talk about cymatics, and I've been planning this episode for three freaking weeks. And then, um, so my uncle has been in the hospital for six months, and we've been his his wife's already passed away or whatever, and so we, um, we all kind of take care of him a little bit. And at his, I mean, his kid's really really busy, so there's that aspect of it too. So we all try to pitch in a little bit. Especially my mom. Um, she's like the caretaker of the family now that her parents have passed away. And so, um, anyway, my my uncle's been in the hospital for like six months because he had a heart attack and then like hurt his knee in the process. So he's been in rehab for his knee. It's just been a whole lot. Like he had a quintuple bypass. Like it's been a lot. So we weren't sure if he was going to have to come home because of like last insured day, even though he still has an open wound of a bed sore, unfortunately. Um, but then he, so we weren't sure if I, like he needed to come crash at my house because my parents are under construction with theirs. And so it's not like he could come crash there. There was just a whole lot up in the air. Turns out he got like a couple more weeks, but I think he's getting picked up this week. 
And then my kid got sick. The whole, like, baby half of daycare. Um, so, like, I mean, daycares pretty much have, you know, younger kids and then, like, pre-K kids. And they kind of keep them separate because, or at least here in Georgia, pre-K is on a an actual, like, school calendar. And so their calendar even is different from daycare. Um, I imagine that's similar other places, too. But... So the whole baby half of school, rotavirus went through it. And my kid got it. She had it for a little over a week. But it turned out that at the very end, her fever was actually from teething. Because it was weird. She got a fever and then it went away and then it came back. And I was like, what the heck? Rotavirus is supposed to be over by now. The other very annoying thing about that is that we went through the vaccination process and the vaccination process for rotavirus freaking sucks because they give you an oral live attenuated virus three times she has had it, which means that she has had horrible, like explosive diarrhea three times and then still got it and got it for a week. Like it, this whole process was just been absolutely miserable. I feel so bad for the fact that I even like gave it to her. I mean, what's the point, right? Like if you're just going to get it anyway. And then I got it. Sucked. Sucked so bad. My husband got it. My father-in-law got it. Thankfully, my parents didn't get it. And I don't think my mother-in-law got it. But like so many people got it. Some of the teachers got it. Like, it was just awful. And um, I am so thankful that I do not have to clean up that ever again. Because I don't, I don't, I mean, at this point, we've had it. So I don't think we're going to get it again. But man, if I, like, future kids, I hope I never, never go through that again. It was so awful. But anyway, so then that delayed us. So, it has been a long time coming, and I don't even really remember my notes because I prepped them three weeks ago, but we're going to talk about cymatics. So, cymatics is a... Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Um, I dropped my notebook. <laughs> cymatics is a broad term that I'm using, and it really doesn't completely apply to everything I'm going to talk to you, talk about, because... In some ways, cymatics only applies to the shape of sound, um, but we are going to talk about also the shape of water, and I don't mean that weird reptilian movie that definitely was supposed to like make you not as skeptical of reptilian people, um, so that'll be really interesting if they ever come out and tell us that some of our elites are actual reptilians. Hello, David Icke, right? Like... I don't know. That that movie was creepy weird. Although Doug Jones, the guy the guy who actually played the um the weird alien reptilian man thing, he's fantastic. But at the same time, he doesn't talk in any of the movies he's in, but he's in basically everything where you need this like tall, skinny humanoid thing to wear a whole bunch of prosthetics. I don't think anyone actually knows what his face looks like unless you've googled him. Um, but you've probably seen him in like at least 10 movies, but he's in Hellboy and all that. He's, um, Abe Sapien in Hellboy as well as like a couple of the little angel demon things, but he's great. So love him, but that movie was weird. Anyway, so we're going to talk about this, but really honestly, truly like 
cymatics in some ways is the physics of magic. And there's so much more to magic if we're going to talk about like quantum realms and all that. Um, This is not going to be quantum mechanics or quantum physics. This is dipping a toe into this whole realm, right? Like there's so much more we could say. I feel like I say that with every episode. Um, But so this is... This is a mechanism of magic. This is a mechanism of um, of the universe, really. I mean, it's so fascinating. But anyway, I, I'm pretty sure there's a rule about reporting or podcasting or something. I know I've heard it somewhere. Maybe it's public speaking. It's all the same thing. Um, where they say you're not supposed to make conclusions for your audience. You're supposed to give them all the information and let them make conclusions. Guess what? I'm telling you in advance, this is fascinating. If you're not prepared to be blown away, let's not talk. Um, so what is cymatics? Cymatics is so many different things. But a main thing that I am going to focus my talk on today... And some people will question about whether this is not, this is cymatics or not, is Masaru Emoto. But if we're really going to talk about the father of cymatics, as most people know, cymatics, um, let's talk first about Ernst Hladny. Um, so he was an 18th century German scientist, and what he showed was if you put a dollop of sand onto a plate and then vibrated that plate at a specific frequency he i believe was using like a cello bow violin bow or something like that but if you vibrate the plate at a specific frequency the sand actually takes a specific shape it bunches up kind of into piles um piles and valleys and you've got these beautiful intricate patterns and then People have continued that work from there, but Hladny is kind of known as the father of cymatics and the father of acoustics in general because he started this whole shebang, right? Um, And then, you know, one of the most famous people that took on Hladny's work from there was the Swiss doctor Hans Jenny in the mid-20th century. But I want to talk about Masaru Emoto. Um, a Masaru Emoto, I don't know, whatever. He is a Japanese, I'll call him researcher, scientist. Um, he's maligned as a pseudoscientist for sure. Um, but he really is not, I would not call him a pseudoscientist. I think he does really, really good work. And he does actually have um, published papers, you know, so published peer-reviewed papers. So it's not like he's a complete hack, um, no matter what people say, right? To some extent, if you're doing the scientific method, you're doing real science. But anyway, he's done a ton of work um, regarding water and how sound and emotion, intention, um, circumstance, all how all of that affects water. So 
primarily what he does is he will imbue water with some sort of outside influence. And then he flash freezes the water and will take pictures of the ice crystals that form as it's freezing. And what he has found is that if you put more positive intention into water, whether it be through beautiful music or literally psychic think like thought intention, um, he has found that that creates these far more aesthetically pleasing crystals, um, literally beautiful crystals. He's done this. He, I mean, literally has scientifically, um, very scientifically done experiments on this, triple blind, double blind. So what they'll do, they're more, I would say the more like scientific versions of this experiment, what he'll do is that he will have a group of subjects, human subjects in Tokyo. And then he will have, um, his partners will have water, cups of water in their facility in California inside an electromagnetically sealed area. I guess it's a room, Um, but electromagnetically shielded room. I'm assuming they're using some sort of Faraday cage. Um, Or maybe it's just like an x-ray room. I don't know. I couldn't, I can't remember, but They'll do that so you don't have any interference, outside interference. So then, as a control, they will take extra samples of water that the people in Tokyo don't know about, and they'll put them next to the water samples that the ones in Tokyo do know about. Um, And they have the people in Tokyo focus positive attention on the water that they know about. And then those water samples are frozen, and the photos are taken, And a different group of subjects looks at those photos and decides which are more aesthetically pleasing. So you get different, you know, levels of blindness there. And what they found is that by focusing that positive intention, you get prettier water. Um, Prettier ice crystals anyway. So that's really fascinating just on its face. Um, but even more so, you know, he's done, he's continued those types of experiments and he's done them with, for example, water that sat in a cup labeled with the word love, um, love and thanks or something like that. And he, that water sat in that cup for 24 hours compared to a water that sat in a cup labeled devil for 24 hours. And the water that had that positive intention in just in what was written on the cup was prettier. So, I mean, you can really take it from there as far as um, all the different types of water. And he has to some extent. So he has actually found that water from natural springs is prettier than tap water. Um, which, okay, FYI, fun fact, I, 
this was again a few weeks ago that I noticed this, but the, uh, they came out with a new report. Um, the report on Nash or the report on carcinogens from the National Toxicology Program. They just added how do I say this? Haloacetic acids to the list that are found in tap water. So literally now tap water is a carcinogen. I swear. It's like everything causes cancer. Um, but man, tap water causes cancer, folks. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, um, and, and kind of to some extent, I wonder if that is why tap water's uglier. But basically, yeah, so all these natural sources of water come up with prettier water than um, water from the tap or like water that is stopped up by a dam. And so you hear these like hippie people talk about living water. But it's true, like he, um, um, Masaru Moto has proven that living water that's coming out of like a spring or river or something like that coming from the earth is prettier than water that has been tampered with. Um, ooh, that was loud. So, what do we do with this information, right? Well, a lot of us have heard that if you play music to plants, and that music is like beautiful classical music or just something more uplifting, the plant grows taller and faster and um, I think like more prolifically from a fertility perspective as far as like flowers and stuff go than plants that are played like heavy metal or um, angry yelling or something like that. And so I don't have a study that says this pretty water is more effective. Um, I couldn't find that chain. I couldn't find that link that takes us from one to the other. So to some extent, this is a leap of faith. But it certainly seems like cymatics and positive intention could be the mechanism behind why we see that plants with these, you know, this positive music or whatever, these positive, you know, messages you whisper sweetly in their ear, um, why those plants grow stronger, why those plants grow um, bigger and more prolifically, right? That would make sense to me because, I mean, water is everywhere, right? As far as living things go, um, you have to have water to survive. I mean, we have a ton of water, right? So this is, I'm, I'm making the leap. I'll, I'll just say this. I'm making the leap that this mechanism of the, of putting positive intention in the water and this water turning out more beautiful then also causes it to be more effective for life. Um, both in humans and in plants. And I want to put out a couple of quotes for you to think about. Um, Nikola Tesla, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Uh, Galileo Galilei, the book of nature is written in the language of mathematics. 
Nikola Tesla, if you only knew the significance of three, six, and nine, then you would have a key to the universe, right? Anyway, so you get these numbers like the phi ratio, the golden ratio, phi. It's it's literally a, num- a numerical representation of God. God is, phi is like the exact representation of God, whereas the Fibonacci sequence is a rough representation of God. And as you get further and further along, bigger and bigger numbers in the Fibonacci sequence, you do actually run into the phi, um, run into five, run into the golden ratio. But phi as a number is, um, can be represented by the secant of 72, um, or part of it, it become, you know, secant of 72 is in there. And so 72 is interesting because 72 is divisible by 2, 3, 4, 6, 8, 9, 12, 18, 24, 36. So you get this balance between the 2, 4, 8 axis of matter and the 3, 6, 9 axis of spirit. And it seems like this cymatics is literally the mechanism, the physical mechanism, as best as we can tell from our current experimentation of the the literally the nature of the universe like the frequency and the nature of the universe how you get frequency of of thought and speech into actual physical change um and it's like it's the physical representation of sacred geometry it's fascinating so then you think okay so the word right in the beginning there was the word there we in the bible right john 1 1 i think it's one one a I don't know this part of it but in the beginning of the word in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God something like that John was writing in a Greek culture I mean he used the Greek language he used the word logos for a very specific reason he was referencing a very specific concept in Greek philosophy at the time um Heraclitus, followed by Aristotle and the Stoics, had developed this idea of logos, reason, um, as the anima mundi, the animating principle of the universe. And some in the metaphysical community have questioned whether the word references, references sound or frequency as the beginning of the universe. But I think that misses um, the Greek connection just in general. I think that's lost in translation there. I think it's more accurate to think of the logos as intention. The Bible describes the logos as emanating from the father and becoming flesh. So that intention, that, that thought, um, is what, is what became flesh. A literal sound did not become flesh. God didn't speak words over Mary to impregnate her. It was done through intention. Um, and we also see God's will being referenced quite often in the Bible, just throughout the other parts of it in general. I mean, it could just be a matter of speaking lost in translation, I guess. But but they don't want us. They don't say God wants this. Or um, God wants that. They say God's will is this. God's will is that. So in some ways, I'm wondering if they're laying an Easter egg that like thought, intention, will is the ordering principle of the universe that prevents entropy from taking over, right? This, I mean, we're, this is so exciting to me, but this is literally 
a physical manifestation with that we can observe with our eyes of the ordering principle of the universe, right? Because there's absolutely no reason for water that would have been ugly otherwise to now become prettier, right? Entropy would suggest otherwise. And yet we can see, we can observe, we can replicate this experiment multiple times that shows that positive intention creates a more beautiful order to the universe, to this little microcosm um, that would not otherwise be there. And so I think we have to consider that intention, positive intention, is the ordering principle of the entire universe. And that's really, really powerful, not just for our lives, but for the lives of everyone in general, right? Because it, yes, this is something that you can absolutely use in your life. For example, um, many people use the two cup method for manifestation, where you have water in one cup, and that cup is labeled with your current circumstance. And then you have another cup, empty cup, labeled with what circumstance you want to create. And you pour the water from the cup that is your um, existing circumstance into the cup that is your future circumstance, and you drink that water because you are imbuing that water with your positive intention. And people get results that way. And that brings me to toasting. This is something that I have been thinking of for quite a while. It's a thought bubble I had a long time ago. And by a long time ago, I mean a year-ish, maybe. I don't know. A time. What is time, right? I don't remember. But it's something that I ran by um, Lindsay Sharman from Rogue Waves. Rogue Waves sent her an email because one of her podcasts is actually what triggered this thought in me. And I, I ran it by her and she said, that sounds like it makes sense based on what she knows. Um, and I trust, I trust her. I trust, you know, like Freeman Fly. Some of these people that have been around and have talked to a ton of people in this space. Um, I trust them because they have at least talked to more people who have more information than I do. There's only so much I can read, you know. Um, but it's this concept of toasting. The clinking of beverages is supposedly, you know, according to mainstream narrative, it's supposedly so that you don't, like, you can test your drink for poison because you're sloshing your drink into your neighbor's drink, which, first of all, I think your clinking glass is wrong. If you're getting, you're definitely wasting beverage. That's just gross, right? You gotta clean up the floor. It's disgusting. Um, but also... It just doesn't make sense because not everyone clinked glasses, but ancient cultures have had some sort of like drinking to one's health for millennia, right? So in, in Greece, we actually have records of the practice several hundred years BC. So we're at least talking about a couple millennia here and probably before that, right? Because, um, I mean, sure, the Greeks could have invented it, but the fact that it's so pervasive in other cultures too, um, I think we have it in the Egyptian culture, which, I mean, yes, overlap between Greece and Egyptian, sure. Um, but it probably date, predates them even, you know, specifically. And then as, as the years have gone on, you know, more elaborate toasts with the clinking of glasses, the firing of gunshots, the slamming your glass on the table, 
those are like more modern twists. Um, the Toastmasters, like the long speeches, those are all far more modern twists on this. But in the ancient cultures, it was drinking to one's health. And we don't have the specific knowledge of where this originated. I mean, the earliest references we have are from like Greece and Egypt, um, but we don't know why they did this. It's just kind of referenced in a description of a battle or a feast, I mean, post-battle feast. Uh, was it like the... I didn't write it down, but it was one of those like epic poems in Greek. Um, but it's seen across cultures. It's seen across continents. It's seen across centuries. And some researchers have actually described it as almost innate to the human condition. And I posit that it is an instinctual understanding of the interplay between cymatics and intention and our reality that we are creating. Because to some extent, I mean, we say we live in a simulation and no, it's not literally a computer game, I don't think. Um, but there's certainly that aspect of... Um, create your own adventure, right? Like you're, this physical reality is not everything that's going on. There's, there's other aspects to it and you can create on other, on other realms and other dimensions reality with your thought forms that change your physical reality without you physically doing something. Um, and so to some extent, I think this is just like an instinctual understanding that people have. And, you know, there's pretty much every culture has some form of toast, like common toast that's health or long life or something like that. I mean, the exceptions to this rule are like the Middle Eastern and um, like Indonesian. Other Muslim cultures where they don't consume alcohol. Um, the Scandinavians say skull which, um, or skull, which, uh, yes, the tobacco is named after this, but it's, it just means bowl because they shared a drink, uh, shared a bowl around that was passed around. And then the Asian cultures, um, are also, uh, a, uh, an exception to this. They basically all have some ver version, um, and by Asian, I mean, um, the, the Northeast Asian. So Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and I think there were some others possibly in Southeast Asia that had something similar, but I can't remember. I remember Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, um, but they all have some sort of version of the Japanese kampai, which means dry glass or, you know, like an American version of this would be bottoms up, right? But you think you got Irish, shlanta, um, or shlantawa, <laughs> I cannot say this, uh, shlanta, I know that becomes a W and yet I cannot like make my mouth make those words, but it's waith ish. Um, but it just means health or good health. Uh, German prost. Um, it actually supposedly comes from the Latin prosit, meaning may it be beneficial. And that's apparently their beer toast. Leave it to the Germans to have more than one. But and apparently for wine in Germany, you say, Zumvol, which means good health. And yes, this entire 
segment is going to be me just butchering foreign languages. Um, but Spanish, they say salud, health, um, French, santé, health, um, Russian, and basically like a lot of the Eastern European languages that are not, I mean, they're not, of they're very close to Russian and it, but they all have something similar to Zadzvadar, z- z- blah, 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 <laughs> like in Hotel Transylvania, um, Zadzvadarovye, which means to your health. You see, these sound better in my head. I can almost say it perfectly in my head, but man, you try to get my tongue to behave and it just, blah, 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 blah. Um, Tagalog, which is, um, the, uh, Philippines. Thank you. Um, Mabuhe, long life, Polish, Stoyat, uh, which means a hundred years. So like long life. Um, Hungarian, I think. Um, Hungarian is just wild, right? Uh, but it, that's to your health. Um, Greek, Stiniglasu, something like that, to your health. Hebrew, Lahayam, to life. Um, and then even in English, we have cheers, and cheers, you know, happiness or whatever. Um, and so it's funny too, because then you also have, uh, in many of these languages where the similar or same words are used for a toast as it is for a blessing when someone sneezes. So it's to me, that's for the proof that you're blessing the drink. Um, not just you have like, you know, to your health, but like you're actually physically trying to bless the drink. And so I, to me, I like people do this and they don't even know it. And maybe at some point somebody knew it. Maybe it's not an innate understanding. Maybe it does come from our ancestors, but it's in almost every single culture. So it's either innate or it is proof of (laughs) a universal civilization. Um, Not that I really want to get back into Tataria. But even the name of alcohol itself. So whiskey, if you didn't know, is um, it's short for Ishka Betha, something like that. I know the Ishka part, but that is, um, well, that I believe is the Irish spelling, but it's very similar in Scottish as well. But in Welsh is just Welsh, right? But it means water of life. And whiskey is not the other beverage that's like this. Um, there are multiple distilled spirits across medieval Europe that are named for the Latin aqua vitae. Um, and that phrase was popularized in medieval Europe. But there's this idea of alcohol and specifically distilled spirits um, being being used as this like water of life and and that's interesting for a couple reasons one alcohol kills a lot of illnesses and microbes and all that so at the time with very unclean water people who would have been drinking alcohol would have had a lot fewer issues um 
than people who attempted to drink water. I mean, people just didn't drink water, really. Everyone drank beer or tea or coffee. and Well, not coffee, but beer or tea or distilled spirit or something where they're heating up the water because the water was not clean. Um, but I could imagine how someone who was dis- drinking distilled spirits, even versus beer, would have had fewer issues, um, like tooth decay even, and even a longer life. I mean... For example, if you know that, uh, oh my gosh, what is it? It's ulcers, but also they found that Heliobacter, Heliobacter pylori, that's what it is, H. pylori, it can cause ulcers and it can even cause cancer. So if the Heliobacter pylori is killed by the distilled spirit more so than it would be by, um, by beer, which doesn't have as high of a alcohol content, then it's possible that people who regularly drink distilled, you know, distilled spirit, not over partakers, you know, obviously alcoholism and alcohol abuse can have a whole other issues as far as health effects, but it's possible that that would have killed a lot of the things that that could have caused some really severe illnesses. I mean, even your grandma would have given you a hot toddy when you were sick, right? Um, or, well, mine didn't because they didn't drink alcohol, alcohol, well, at least on one side of the family, but, um, they, uh, you know, it's whiskey and honey for, for when you get sick, um, for like a throat can, sore throat or whatever. I mean, alcohol would have cured a lot of things. And so it's interesting that they actually had a, uh, designation of distilled spirit as the water of life but then also alcohol is what they would have been wishing good health over because that's what have been um that's what would have been present at feasts um as far as beer wine whatever spirits so it it's it's completely possible that the name actually arose from the very sincere belief that the drink was physically manifesting the well wishes that were spoken over it um We'll probably never know, just like we'll never know why they came up with um, the idea for toasting to one's health, for, you know, from the very beginning. But what does this mean for you? What does this mean for your life? How can you harness this? Because, I mean, I am completely fascinated by this, but if you don't man- if you don't use it, if you don't use the technology in your own life, then what good is it, right? Well, uh, you know, you could certainly use, um, use it on your plants at the very least, but I would say, you know, we should, we should at least be, um, speaking positive words over all of the food and beverage that we can, that we consume. Um, sometimes it's hard to practice just intention without, words, at least when you're starting out. So I would say that. Um, I would say that, you know, happy music versus sad music. Um, Obviously, you know, we all have days, right? But just in general, what you're consuming could have a, a very, you know, a lot of people in the hippie community will say like, raise my, raise your vibration, y'all. And then Um, Even in the productivity community, they'll say you are the average of the five people around you. But what does that mean? 
Well, this could be a very real mechanism by which that happens. If you're hearing negativity all the time, whether it's from reality TV or the drama from your friends or the shitty music that you're listening to that's like, oh my God, my... I'm going to make fun of modern country music. <laughs> but like, um, you know, it's all... Never mind. I won't. I won't. I'll refrain. But anyway, if, if you're... I mean, the TV shows, like, there's so many TV shows that are just so depressing. Like, everyone gets murdered. Um, so if you're putting negative things into your brain, then you may find negative, you know, you may feel, you know, manifesting that negativity in your own body. So positive affirmations, happy, happy music. If you have a stainless steel, like, Yeti cup that you put all of your drinks into, you should just line the whole thing with stickers saying like happiness, wealth, positivity, abundance, health, good blessings, you know, um, there's no reason not to, right? If it works, uh, the two cup manifestation method that I mentioned before, that is certainly another way. Um, you know, I, I would even extend this to like Reiki, faith healing, laying on of hands, if that positive intention is being put into your body, um, even if it's coming from an outside source, because, you know, we all need help every once in a while. Um, I would absolutely say that, like, th this could be the very real mechanism by which that works. Um, and I can't even, oh man, I couldn't find it. But I swear at some point, at some point, I heard a story, and I want to say it was, like, 12th grade biology class. I don't remember where I heard this story, but I couldn't, I couldn't find the news article or anything like that. And I know I would have heard of this, like, a decade ago at least. So who knows if I would ever be able to find this, you know, talked about ever, like, find a, an actual um, source for this information. But I heard about this monk who had like a necrotic wound on his leg or something and needed amputation. And just through meditating about a like wind carrying the grossness out of his body, he was able to actually heal the wound um, and not lose a leg in the process, which is fascinating. I will say though, there's a lot of people that associate there's there's a lot of really bullshit stories about what monks do with their meditation. Um I like just you could google it and be like monk is 300 years old or uh monk levitates or whatever. And there are I mean there's there are multiple catholic saints that are also Regarded as having levitated in moments of um, intense prayer, intense meditation. So it's not just a, a like a Buddhist monk thing, but man, do Buddhist monks like really get a lot of of uh, mythos applied to them? We'll say. But yeah, I mean, this is just a, such an interesting topic, and it can really escalate to so many different things in our lives. Um, 
but if you have not looked at Masaru Moto's work before, I totally recommend. Um, the links again will be in the show notes on Substack, but um, there's pictures that go along with all of this that obviously I cannot convey via my voice. I can really barely convey information via my voice. We're working on that. Um, but yeah, this is just a really, really interesting topic. It's something that, um, it's not necessarily, well, quite frankly, it wasn't as hard to find information on it. And so it's not like I'm diving down some deep tunnel. It's actually fairly readily information, like readily available information with the exception of the link of like, you know, this, this is more helpful than this as far as like actually manifesting it. You know, I, there's, there is a, there is a, a leap of faith that I am taking in here in this, um, string of, of pearls here. But I will say that, um, they have found even in like children's, I did find like a kindergarten science experiment online for like, you know, uh, how to do science experiments at home with your kid during COVID or uh, it was something like that. I can't remember if it was like uh, the homeschool program or something, but it was like kindergarten science experiment. Does spring water or distilled water or, um, tap water work out better as far as helping plants grow? But yeah, so it's this like homeschool experiment for kids but it even says that um, if you put tap water on a plant versus if you put spring water on a plant, the water, the plant watered with spring water is going to grow taller. Um, and part of that is, you know, what they say is the spring water has natural minerals involved. And so I'm sure that's part of it. But I can't deny the fact that that probably plays a part into this. I mean, if intention can play a part in this, why can't um, positive minerals play a part of this, right? Versus the cancer causing agents found in tap water that we discussed earlier, right? So, I mean, there's just so much, especially when you start thinking about water, because water affects literally everything on this planet. Um, particularly everything alive, but you know, um, then what is even alive, right? Because technically, if you think about what it means to be alive, crystals, um, unpopular opinion to some scientists who think we're all woo-woo, but crystals can actually fit the definition of alive if, as long as you take the, the aspect of a short timeline out of it. Like if you're not thinking of a short timeline, a crystal is alive. It's just not something that we can understand on a on, you know, on our own timeline. So it's just really, really fascinating. It's something that really gets my juices flowing as far as all the different um, functionality. You know, I mean, werewolves are super cool too. I was really fascinated to find out that werewolves and um, shapeshifters and wendigos and um, all of these different representations of human and wolf are actually not that far off from each other. You know what I mean? 
that was fascinating to me. But does it actually apply to my personal life? Not really. I mean, I'm not planning on going to Skinwalker Ranch anytime soon. And I'm also not planning on learning how to shapeshift by becoming a sorcerer and putting some magic girdle on, right? So it doesn't really affect my day-to-day versus this absolutely affects my day-to-day. Um, I need to actually, well, okay. So my cup started chipping because I got some cheap cup from Ollie's because love a deal. Um, and they're all made in China anyway. Why does it matter if I get something that's like $50 versus something that's five, but all the paint is chipping off my cup. So I need to get a new cup and then I'm going to put better stickers on it because my stickers right now are like fake news and a Sasquatch and (laughs) some other things. So I need to get a new cup. I need to get some better stickers, but even just putting health, wealth, positive stickers on my cup, I can create positive change in my own life. You can create positive change in your own life. I mean, that's just fascinating to me. So This is a little bit of a shorter episode and it's more so me telling you how to fix your life in the same way that I will be fixing my life um, rather than nerding out over anything in particular. But I wanted to, I've been wanting to talk about this for three weeks, so I wanted to get this out and it's been fun to sit down with you again because it's been so long. Um, Anyway, so if you're new here. I try to put an episode out every Friday. Clearly some Fridays are not, (laughs) are, uh, some Fridays work out better than others, but yes, we try to do an episode every Friday and, um, I would appreciate if you would subscribe and come back to see me. In the meantime, don't forget to check out those links in the show notes and I will see you again later.